Well, hello and uh, welcome back to the Sensory Reform Podcast. Uh, my name is Zach Wise. I'm here with my co-pastor, Brandon Burks. We are pastors at uh, Westside Reform Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. And today we want to reflect a little bit on the uh, topic of uh, marriage and the uh, biblical teaching about the uh, institution of marriage. Uh, certainly marriage is something that uh, God has given us as something of a good gift and that we uh, want to always better understand the uh, good gifts God has given to us. And so I think maybe we can begin, Brandon, if you wouldn't mind just taking us back to uh, creation and sketch out for us a bit of what we learn in uh, the creation narrative about about marriage. Just kind of going back to, to the creation narrative, I think, shows us that marriage, the idea of marriage, is not this kind of a man-made conceptual idea that somehow came about through... Uh, just the evolution of society, right? Uh, but it, it goes back into the very purpose of what the Creator had for His for His creatures. Um, so this is not something because I think you often hear that today. Well, that's just a man-made thing, you know, it's for I, convenience. Yeah, yeah, legal that, problems or something right, like that. Right, right, and they cast it like it, it's worthless or something. Like it doesn't mean anything. But then when you go back to creation, how did God originally purpose His creatures to function? Uh, interact. So we see, for example, Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And we know God made Eve out of Adam's rib. And he brings the woman to the man. And Adam says, at last, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man, and then here's the, the, the kind of key statement here, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And this shows us even before sin came into the world, even before the fall happened, here was just a beautiful picture of um, um, a man and a woman coming together, and it says formed one flesh, kind of came together, formed that, that one covenantal flesh together, uh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Right? I think that really is a foundational place to go when you're thinking about what does the Bible say about marriage. And you used the term there when you were describing marriage, you described it as being uh, covenantal. Um, can you maybe explain the significance of that concept for us? And what does it mean when we speak about marriage being covenantal? Yeah, so that's actually something that's picked up by the, by the prophets later on and made more explicit. For example, in Malachi chapter 2, 14, speaks about how marriage is this covenant between God and the husband and the wife. So there's this covenantal thing happening where God is there, um, man is there, wife is there, uh, and it's not something that is just kind of entered into in a nonchalant way. I mean, I think a lot of times in our context, people view marriage like, um, you know, this is fun, we'll just get married, well now it's not fun, let's get unmarried, and, and it's it's fluid, I guess you could say, in, in the modern concept of marriage, but when you see it as a covenantal thing, you see it as, I mean, you're taking an oath. Mm -hmm. There's God, there's you and your wife, and your wife and the husband, and they are making vows, they're making an oath, there's a covenantal thing happening. The minister is administering this this thing, and, and, and it's not something that's flippant, who cares, but this is something that's under God, we, we, we might say. That's really helpful. I think that... Um... 
as I uh, read you know, Genesis 2 and begin to think about this concept of, of covenantal, I can't help but think about how in the creation narrative, God is establishing a covenant with his people. And then that kind of a, that then within that time that God is, is establishing a covenant in the garden with his people, then he makes man and woman into this covenantal thing. So one kind of like uh, imaging the other, you could almost say, mm-hmm. that the, the bond between husband and wife then is kind of helping us to understand the bond between God and his people within within the garden. Okay. Although that didn't quite go exactly as planned there. But then I, I think it's also kind of seen in the way that a uh, husband and wife become a bit estranged from each other. Mm-hmm. This like, covenantal thing. There's more going on in marriage, I think, than than um than meets the eye it has some transcendent dimensions that i think we're going to come to here in uh, in just a second but how about uh, taking us to the proverbs because we can oftentimes think about maybe marriage as being like just purely functional but what does what does proverbs help us to understand about marriage yeah so proverbs 19 uh, verse 14 says that a good spouse is a gift from god and i think it's helpful to to view your spouse as a gift from god uh, oftentimes we, um, in our in our sinfulness, we want to just kind of leave God out of the picture. Well, we met at the at the movies, or we met at the grocery store, or whatever it is, and we just have this kind of, uh, we just happen to b- bump into each other. I just happen to ask her uh, to get married, and 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 here we are, ten years later, and kind of leaving God out of the picture and saying, no, every good gift comes from God above. And one of those good gifts is, um, is marriage. Richard Baxter, he, uh, he once said, It is a mercy to have a faithful friend that loveth you entirely, and it is a mercy to have so near a friend to be a helper to your soul, to stir up in you the grace of God. So just viewing your spouse as a gift from God brings kind of God into the picture, His kindness in giving you this spouse. And, um, and also, I think it, it helps um, single people as well, right? Uh, people who perhaps are looking forward to, to uh, getting married perhaps one day. And uh, they can also look to God, I think, and say, well, you know, if it's meant to be, then God will give me that gift. And it's going to be a gift that will come from God in His time and in His way. Very helpful. How about um, thinking a little bit about the intimacy that then ought to be at, at, um, at work between husband and wife. What might you say about that? Yeah, I mean, so this is an aspect that makes people blush, right? The kind of the, the intimacy aspect between husband and wife. And again, you know, there's some who want to make it more functional. It's about having kids or it's about um, surviving together or, or taking care of each other in old age or whatever it is. We kind of want to flatten it out to one of those things and we kind of miss a key aspect where um, husband and wife are meant to be intimate. They're meant to enjoy each other. And I think we see this in the Song of Songs, right? The Song of Songs is this picture of the ideal marriage. um, And the language of the Song of Songs kind of harkens us at times back to the Garden of Eden. um, But also, and we'll unpack this more later, but the ideal marriage is picturing Christ and his church. So you know, all this imagery going on here in, in uh, Song of Songs, I wanted to read just a section of it um, to kind of give a picture of what the Song of Songs is doing in terms of, of showing the, the ideal intimacy that marriage um, uh, is supposed to be about. So uh, Song, Song of Songs chapter 4 
Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of, sh of, of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not among them was lost in its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like has of pomegranates. Your two breasts are like fawns, twins of the gazelle. Um, and he goes on and on about his heart being captivated and so on and so forth. And he's using this beautiful language to speak about this intimacy that, that subsists between a husband and a wife. And that's appropriate. Um, oftentimes we have this idea of, um, you know, uh, sex bad or something like that. And sometimes we can, without knowing it, maybe give that impression, especially to like teenagers or something, you know, sex bad. You don't want to do that. But what's even maybe better to hold out is, well, no, it's really good, and it's a God thing. Sex is not a dirty thing. Now, obviously, Satan has tried to take sex and then make it into a wicked, dirty thing with pornography and premarital sex and all these perversions, but the way that it was purposed by God is a very good thing. Sex is a God, a God thing, a gift from God, and it's good. And so I think it could be helpful in talking with people who perhaps are teenage years or, or whatever it is, speaking about how good it is, but how they must wait. As the Song of Songs says, you do not want to awaken love until it's time. Uh, when it's time, when you're married, that's when the time to awaken love, and, and love is, and it is very good. Um, so instead of having this negative do not kind of uh, view, the Song of Songs helps us to have a, a very positive view of this is how sex, this is how intimacy, this is how love um, needs to function. And I think it's just a beautiful way to, to do that. Any other thoughts on that? I, I think that's all very helpful. And maybe start to move now a little bit from the, um, the earthly institution of marriage given by God as a gift for the sake of intimacy and companionship. Mm -hmm. Maybe now start taking us into that sort of vertical dimension that you mentioned before and the ideal marriage that does exist eternally between Christ and his church. How could you maybe help us reflect on that? Yeah. So the Apostle Paul, writing in Ephesians chapter 5, brings the, the conversation of marriage. So he's, he's addressing husbands and wives. And in this, in this conversation of husband and wife, he not only speaks to their situation on earth, but he points them to what marriage is ultimately intended to be about. So here's what, um, here's what the Apostle Paul says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of, of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So it's interesting how in this conversation he's talking to um, what 
a uh, wife or what a husband needs to be focusing on, but he's bringing all of this within the context of Christ and the church. And then at, at, the, at, at the end, he, he makes a very pr- profound statement. In fact, he even calls it profound. He quotes Genesis chapter 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and join fast to a wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So that's interesting how he quotes Genesis 2, and says, here's a profound mystery. That's referring to Christ and his church. So as we look at marriage, as we see a husband and wife, we're seeing this miniature picture of the gospel of Christ loving his church and the church being washed and nourished and renewed by Christ. And it's giving this picture to, to a fallen world. Uh, that we have been purchased by Christ, and we walk by faith, and He's our head, He's our Savior, and that is encapsulated in the picture of husband and wife together. So I think that that gives marriage this beautiful, and uh, I would say infinitely beautiful picture of what marriage is supposed to be about, what marriage is, is, is intended for. Very helpful. And then maybe take us... Last significant, you know, well, I shouldn't say the last significant, uh, the probably the uh, final place we might want to turn as we think about uh, marriages to the book of Revelation, and as we think about this dynamic between God and his church, or maybe better phrase, God in Christ and his mm-hmm. church, um, how, how might the book of Revelation then begin to um, direct our eyes even more clearly? to that, uh, that, that, that final um, revelation of this mystery. In, in Revelation 19, we get this glimpse of the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we see it, it in uh, John in Revelation 19 uses a lot of marriage language about a wedding, about this banquet, about this feast, and it is Christ being married to his church. I mean, that that's what ma- earthly marriages have been pointing to, and we finally see it um, happening in in Revelation 19. And this also brings to mind something that Christ talked about, you know, as as the Sadducees were trying to pin Jesus down by saying, well, what happens when a woman has a husband, he dies, she remarries, that happens five times to where in her earthly life she had five husbands, and the Sadducees asked Jesus, well, in heaven, who's will she be? Who will she be married to? And Jesus said, in heaven there is no marriage. Uh, people are not given in marriage. Um, and why, why not? Well, because earthly marriage is a type pointing, a picture pointing to that marriage supper of the Lamb, that final act where, where, where um, Christ brings his church to himself. So from Genesis chapter 2, that is what, what marriage has been pointing to. It's been pointing to this consummation of Christ and his church when Christ comes down and brings his church to himself. And once that happens, you don't need those earthly types and pictures anymore. 
it's already been realized when Christ came back. So after Christ comes back and brings his church to himself, there's no need for the picture. We, we have it in Christ right now. And so that's why there's no marriage in heaven, because what marriage pointed to has already been fulfilled when Christ brings his church to himself. Amen. And I think that's, you know, with the revelation of the bride at the very final chapter of uh, chapters of, of Revelation, the, the revelation of her in all of her glorious splendor and the intimacy that then results between God and Christ with his church mm-hmm. becomes something that's in earthly terms is indescribable. It is in, incomparable. And so why then is there need for the, uh, the shadows uh, that we currently um, experience within our, within our lives? I think it's uh, important for us to be um, thinking about our wives and our, you know, for women to think about their husbands in, in these kinds of biblical categories rather than the way that the uh, culture wants us to think about one another. Any more thoughts on this? Well, maybe I could bring it together. You should. So we, we've we kind of spoken and kind of in, almost in, in atomistic yeah, ways, right? Yeah, we, sure. we, we said, here's a point, here's a point, here's a point, and like a bullet point. But kind of bringing it together, um, I was preaching uh, years ago on... On, on marriage, and I was trying to come up with a way to kind of bring this biblical data to bear, and how would I give a definition of marriage? Like, what would I say about it? How would I describe it in a in a encapsulated way? So here's one of the, the ways in which I kind of brought things together. Here's how I defined marriage. Uh, marriage is God's gift where one man and one woman become one flesh, in a solemn covenant that is surrounded by intimate love and enduring commitment with the purpose of showing a fallen world that Christ is saving his church. And I think that might be a good way to encapsulate all the various pieces that we just unpacked today. That's really great. Well, we hope that's been helpful for you as well. One of the things that we're going to link for you in our show notes page is a statement on marriage that uh, was brought together by our denomination just to reflect upon what it is and to reflect upon how helpful it is and how wonderful it is as God created it. It's the URCNA statement on marriage. You can find that in the uh, show notes page. Again, we hope this is a helpful this is helpful for you um, within uh, whether you're married and it's helpful for you in your marriage or if you're unmarried it helps you to think clearly about God's institution both of those things are valuable we hope that that, uh, that is the case for you so we are the Cincy Reform Podcast we're sponsored by Westside Reform Church uh, check out our podcast page at cincyreformed.org and our church's um, uh, website is westsidereformed.org uh, thanks so much for joining us we hope you join us next week Thank you.